Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. We're so glad you could join us. You're listening to the third part in our series, Going Through the Book of Mark. Whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. We're in a series right now, going through the Gospel of Mark. Can you guys make some noise? Anyone been here for this series? A few people. And uh, we're just, uh, I'm reading Mark Uh, in my life as I take us through Mark. And one thing that I just keep seeing over and over and over as I read through it is that Jesus gets better and better and better and better. And so uh, I say that all to say that uh, we're in Mark chapter two today, and I don't know how long it's going to take to get through Mark. Um, So we could be in this series for a while, but uh, it's going to be okay because Jesus just keeps getting better and better and better. And when I say Jesus gets better, the church claps their hands because Jesus is better. Mark chapter 2, thank you for standing. Uh, Verse 16 is where I want to start. It says, when the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Seems like a valid question. Verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, but sinners. I want to call our message this morning, uh, I need a doctor. I need a doctor. Can you clap your hands for the worship team? Hey, you guys can be seated. We're so glad that you could be here this morning. Church Online. Uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, welcome, and everyone in the building, thank you for being here. Welcome. My name's Harrison, and uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm just honored that you took some time uh, out of your weekend to be here with us. Um, I want to share a number with you guys. Uh, it's a very significant number uh, for me, and that number is 3,335. 3,335. Now, if you do the math, 3,335 days is just over nine years. And that number is extremely significant for me. Now, some of you guys are thinking to yourself, well, maybe that's how long he's been with his wife. Um, No, we've been together for 3,343 days. Um, I had time to do some math this week. Uh, But 3,335 days. Now, I'm proud of, you know, the 3,000... 343 with my wife, but I think that my, my best accomplishment, the thing I'm probably most proud of is the 300 or 3,335 days. Now, uh, if we can be honest, we probably all have things that we're proud of, right? We have things that we're proud of, accomplishments, maybe characteristics. All of us have things that we're proud of. Now, one of the things that I'm proud of um, is, that my, is my health. Like, I'm generally a healthy person. Uh, I've, been, I've been working um, out of school now for six years, and uh, I've never taken a sick day before. And I'm really proud of that. Like, I had sore throats and coughs, which now force us to isolate for 14 days. But, like, I've never, I've never really been sick. And, like, I'm even more proud of it because, like, my brother and my sister-in-law, they're sick every 14 days. And so, like, I just, I feel really good about my health. And so, um, and we can be honest, come on. We all got something that we're proud of, right? And so 3,335 days pertains to my health, and it was a number that I was extremely proud of. Now, the reason that I say was 
is because that number, that streak, uh, has come to an end. Now, for those of you guys uh, that may remember, uh, I was in a sling here a couple weeks ago, uh, and the reason for that was I had surgery on my shoulder. And uh, I had surgery on my shoulder, and in order to have the surgery, uh, I was actually put fully under. Anyone ever gone fully under before? I actually went and watched the surgery on YouTube after, uh, and I feel quite violated. (laughs) But one of the things that happens when you go under, like fully under, uh, is that when you get up, when you wake up, uh, you actually feel pretty nauseous because of the mixture of the medication and the fact that you haven't eaten. And so when I woke up, they warned me that I was going to be nauseous. And so what happened is that eventually, like, I was just like, you guys ever been really thirsty before? Like, I was so parched, I couldn't even, like, and so, like, I was like, I was like, please, nurse, like, could you just get me some water? And so I had some water, and pretty well soon after I had that water, something happened that had not happened to me in 3,335 days. I threw up. I barfed. Come on, somebody. And that broke my streak of 3,300, it had been 3,335 days since I last threw up. Now, what you need to understand is I was extremely proud of that number. I was ready to get to the 10-year mark. I was so close. My streak, my streak ended. My streak ended. And uh, when my streak ended, it made me realize something. Because as I said, we all have something, right? You, you, you have something. You have something in your life that you're proud of. You have, and, and a lot of us, can, can we be really honest? I know it's church and we're all perfect, but you have something in your life that you do, that you have, that you put yourself above other people because you have it. But what it made me realize in that moment is that no matter what it is, one day is going to come to an end. All streaks, all good things come to an end. And it made me realize, and maybe for some of us, it is our health, right? We're happy about our health. Maybe for some of us, it's our wealth. Like, I'm just, yeah, I've, I've always been secure. For some of us, it's characteristics, right? We're patient, or I've always known to be loving and caring. What I realize is we all have something, but at the end of the day, what we need to understand, what I want us to understand is that it is always temporary. Whatever that thing is we have in our life, one day it will come to an end. And what it made me realize is that for as healthy oftentimes as we think we are, Inevitably and eventually, we'll need a doctor. We're continuing our series going through the book of Mark. And uh, as I said off the top, uh, this has been amazing and uh, just seeing Jesus in a new light. Can you make some noise of this series if you enjoy any parts of it? (laughs) Been able to see Jesus uh, in a new way. So this morning, I want to pick up exactly where we left off last week. Now, if you missed last week, I encourage you, go check it out online. But last week, what we found out, what we said was, was generally this. We said Jesus did not come to give us a better life. A lot of us think Jesus came to give us a better life. We said, no, 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 Jesus has come to give us new life. And so where we kind of started last week and where I want to pick up this week, we're going to begin to see because Jesus is about to go and do a whole bunch of things that are pretty well going to flip the people's understanding of who he is, who he was upside down. You see, Jesus has this way of flipping what you know, what you think is true upside down. And so one thing that I told the first service this morning, I said, if you read your Bible, 
And I know it's a crazy concept. The Bible can be read outside of church. But I said, if you read your Bible, and every single time you read your Bible, it agrees with you, it tells you what you thought was going to be there from the start, I would argue you're probably not reading it right. Because the thing about Jesus is that Jesus has this way of surprising us. Scripture has this way of flipping what we thought was true, oftentimes upside down. And so what we're going to read today, Jesus is about to challenge the people's perception on who they thought God was. He's literally going to flip it upside down. It's going to be crazy, y'all. Are you guys ready? All right, let's do this. So we're going to go uh, to verse 13 in Mark chapter 2. This is where I want to start. It says, once again, Jesus was out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphys, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, what we said in this series is the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, moves fast. He doesn't got time for details. He's got places to be, people to see. And so a lot of times, if we don't slow down, and even more so, if we don't understand the deeper things, we can miss the main message. And so a lot of us, as I read this passage, I think you missed it. I'd say we all missed it because no one clapped their hands, and that's okay. Because I want us to show something that happens here, because what Jesus did here in this moment was revolutionary. But we need to understand something. It says that Jesus called Levi, who was a tax collector, and he said, follow me. Now, the, diff, the detail that we need to see is the tax collector. Now, a lot of us, when we see tax collector, we probably just think of our taxes today, right? Like, I hope you guys understand your taxes are due soon. So get on that. you got like 30 days. And so a lot of us, when we think taxes, like we think the government, we think, you know, money that we have to, 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 to spend, our money that we're going to get with our tax return, whatever it is. But what I want us to understand is that when the word tax collector when the first audience that would have read the Gospel of Mark read those words, they would have known exactly what that means. Now, what you need to understand is that a tax collector has with it a reputation. And to be a tax collector in the first century affected your social, it affected your racial, and it affected your religious reputation. Now, in order for us to understand tax, the tax collector in the first century, we need to understand how their tax system worked. So where we pick up our story, we are once again um, in Capernaum. Last week, we left off in Capernaum. And Capernaum was a place where it was a Jewish region, but it was under Roman occupancy. And so what that meant was that the Jews lived there, but they paid their taxes to the Romans. Now, as we all know, no one really likes taxes to begin with, right? Do you guys, do you guys remember that moment? Maybe you're not there yet. But do you remember the moment you got your first paycheck? And you're like, wait a second, I worked like double these hours. And it's like, no, it's because like half of your money goes to taxes, right? So no one really likes taxes <laughs> to begin with. I remember my wife, when she got a raise one time, she actually made less money after. It's like, what, kind, what is this? And I said, honey, you're moving to Texas. <laughs> but we didn't. Um, Texas has great taxes. Um, look it up. So no one likes paying taxes to begin with, generally speaking. Now, what made it ultra hard for the Jewish people is their hard-earned money went to the Romans. It went to the people that were not even their people. Now, how the taxation system works and the whole message kind of hinges on us understanding this concept 
is that although taxes went to Rome, what the Romans would do is they would get a Jewish person that lived in the region to become a tax collector. Now, how it worked was that a small number of Jews would bid on a number. They would bid on a number that would be the tax number, the tax percentage. And whoever would win the bid, it would be the person that the Romans felt that's the number they wanted. And so someone would win the bid. And the person that won the bid, the number was absolutely arbitrary. It wasn't really based off anything. It was just what the Romans were like, yeah, we'll take that. But how it worked, and here's the thing we need to understand, is that whatever money the tax collector could collect on top of what was owed to Rome, the tax collectors would keep for themselves. So it was this system that was kind of built on corruption of Rome, but it was also built on the greed of tax collectors. The Romans didn't tell them to keep the money, but they're like, hey, if you collect above and beyond, you do you, bro. And so what happened is that oftentimes tax collectors were wealthy. They had a lot of money, but with it came consequences. You see, what happened for anyone that was a tax collector, your fellow Jews, their fellow Jews viewed those people as traitors. They were traitors. You see, they didn't know exactly how, but they knew that they were being ripped off. And so what happened, the consequences was literally the people, uh, the, the Jewish people would ostracize the tax collectors. Now, you need to understand something about Jewish people. For them, clean and unclean was a really big thing. And so to be a tax collector, you were actually considered unclean. And so what that meant is if you were a tax collector, you were actually expelled from synagogue. That was, that was their version of church. You could not go. Why? Because you were considered unclean. Because you were a traitor. Because you were conspiring with Rome at the expense of your fellow people. And so what happened for the people that were tax collectors, their families had a choice. You would either disown your tax collecting son or husband, whoever it is, or your whole family would be disowned by the Jewish community. And so you need to understand this. A tax collector in the first century in this context was a despised person. They were considered the lowest of the low. They were scum. And you may be saying to yourself, well, why would people ever do that? Well, the truth is the love of money runs deep, right? And so these people were, were despised. Have you, guys, have you guys ever got those calls from the CRA? The CRA? <laughs> Anyone get those calls? And, like, I apologize in advance. I don't know why my people in India have decided that um, <laughs> this is going to be their life goal to, to pretend to be the CRA. Um, but, like, you guys know these people and these calls. And, and it's really, and, like, for the most part, you know, a lot of us, we just hang up. I mess around with them a little bit. Um, but the truth is, and I, I didn't look up any stats, maybe I should have, but I would wager to guess maybe thousands or millions of dollars are scammed away from people every single year, oftentimes elderly people, vulnerable people. And so when we think of people like that, I'm trying to paint a picture. These are despised people. These are, are scum people. Now, the thing about the CRA is that these guys do it undercover. It's over a phone. We don't know who they are. In the first century, the tax collectors, it was in plain daylight. Everyone knew who they were. And they were considered the people, the lowest of the low. You need to understand there was murderers, prostitutes, adulterers, tax collectors. It's all in the same bracket. 
And so now let's look at the words of Jesus again. It says, Jesus saw Levi, the son of Alphys, sitting at the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. This is the person that Jesus said, follow me. Now you need to understand something. I can imagine if Jesus was with people, with the disciples, they were like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, don't you know who this is? He's unclean. He's unworthy. What do you mean, follow me? But I want us to notice something. It says in Mark chapter 2, verse 14, it says, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus. He saw. Now, in the Greek, it literally means he saw. Like He saw him, but there's, there's, there's something more to it. There's an undertone. The Greek word means to, to see or to experience. And so I want us to understand this. Jesus did not just see Levi. Jesus did not just see the tax collector. He experienced him. What that means is that when Jesus saw him, he saw him not just with physical eyes, but he saw him with spiritual eyes. What that means is he was able to see something beneath the surface. He saw something deeper. Where everyone else saw despised, rejected, don't look at, don't touch, unclean, Jesus saw deeper. I want you to understand something, church. Jesus sees deeper. Whatever your exterior is, whatever that thing you put out in front of you, or maybe it's a thing that people have called you, it's a name, it's a reputation. Guess what? Jesus sees beneath it. Can I tell you something? Those people that you consider despicable, because come on, we can, we, can, we can get off our horse for a second. We all have those people. Yes, that's my too far. Beneath that is a person that oftentimes is deeply broken and hurt. Jesus sees that. He saw that. And Jesus says, follow me. And I want you to understand those words were scandalous. Follow me. And it says that Levi went and followed him. Now, as I read that part, I was thinking to myself, there had to be a longer conversation, right? It's just like, follow me, I <laughs> Let's go. And you know, Mark's always in a hurry, so I'm thinking maybe it was a Mark thing, but I read the story in the other Gospels, and it's the exact same thing. Jesus just says, follow me, and Levi goes. And as much as I thought maybe it's a longer conversation, I began to wonder and think to myself, you know what? When someone is thirsty and you offer them water, the conversation really isn't that long. And so maybe, maybe listen to this. You see, we're, we're in Cap we're Capernaum here. And so Jesus, at this time, it said last week we found the whole town was there. They saw the miracles. They saw the healings. They knew who he was. Jesus came with a reputation. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. There was whispers even more than that. He's the Messiah. Maybe he's something more. And so Levi, no doubt, had heard about Jesus. And I wondered, maybe Levi, having heard about Jesus, Jesus was at this point this well-respected Jewish teacher. I began to think, you know what? Levi probably already disqualified himself from being in the presence of Jesus. You know what's so ironic a lot of times? Because we're always out searching to disqualify, cancel people. Oftentimes, most of us will actually disqualify ourselves first. We have something inside of us. It's like, I just don't feel worthy. I just don't think that's, that's, that's me. And so I wonder in that moment when Jesus, and I think Jesus probably looked him in the eye, and most people probably didn't look him in the eye because of who he was. And he says, follow me. I wonder if in that moment, Levi 
experienced what he was ultimately looking for, which was acceptance, which was approval. And Levi, in that moment, it didn't take a long conversation. He probably just looked around, and he knew who Jesus was, and he's thinking to himself, me? Are you you talking to me? Jesus says, follow me. So here's the point I want us to understand. No one is too far from the grace of Jesus. Listen, you're sitting here, maybe you've disqualified yourself. No one is too far from the grace of Jesus. No one, come on. You see, the scandal of grace is in a moment, everything can change. Jesus has this way of seeing beneath the surface. He says, follow me. And so I want you to understand the same appeal that Jesus gave to Levi, Jesus gives to each and every one of us today. He says, I know what you've been through. I know what they call you. I know what you call yourself. But follow me. Follow me. And so Levi leaves everything. He leaves wealth. He leaves all that he had ever known, and he follows Jesus. Mark, of course, doesn't have time to to waste, so he continues in verse 15. And suddenly we're at Levi's house, and it says, when Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Now, some scholars believe that perhaps this was a going-away party of sorts for Levi. And so it's filled with all sorts of people, but the details I want us to understand and the details I think is really important that Mark wants us to see, it says that his house was filled with tax collectors. We know what that meant already. I've explained it. And sinners. So this house is filled with the worst of the worst. The lowest of the low, the despised, the not good enough, the gone, too far, the God forsaken. And it says Jesus was there eating. Look at this. For there were many who followed him. There were many who followed Jesus. There were many who followed Jesus. Here's the thing I want us to understand. I think it's really interesting that when Jesus is on earth, it was the people that the people leave as the farthest from God that were closest to Jesus. The people that were the farthest from God were the ones that flocked to Jesus. And so for a moment, I want to speak to my Christian brothers and sisters in the room. Because I think there's a lesson here that we can learn. I don't like to speak specifically to Christians all the time, but I want to do it right now for a moment because Jesus teaches us something really important. You can write this one down. In order to reach the people that no one else is reaching, we have to go to the places that no one else is going. In order to reach the people that no one else is reaching, we have to go to the places that no one else is going. You see, it's really good to be a Christian. I think it's actually the best decision you can ever make to follow Jesus. And when you follow Jesus, there are a few things that you need. I think that you need to be plugged into a church. I don't mean attend a church, I mean plugged in, a place that you call home, a place that you have family. I think that you need to be part of a kingdom crew in a small group. I think that you need to have Christian brothers and sisters that actually know you. They can speak into your life. They can give you wisdom. They can tell you, hey, that's a terrible decision. Like, I think you need that in your life, and and I think that you need to serve in all of these good things, but I want you to understand there's a great danger in all of this. For the greatness of it, there's a great danger, and the great danger is that we can begin to live in what I like to call a Christian bubble. What's a Christian bubble? 
And so my life is surrounded with all these church people, and we all talk the same, think the same, act the same. And when we speak our specific language, we say, brothers and sisters, we say, amen. Dearly beloved, blessed saints. But you see, when I look at Jesus, Jesus didn't speak church language. Jesus spoke the language of humanity. Because Jesus didn't want there to be this division between the holy and the unholy. And so there's always a great danger in the Christian bubble. We were at um, a space this last week uh, looking at um, the place where we're having Easter. And uh, I got some details after service. It's going to be good, y'all. But I was looking at the place, and the lady was showing us around. And she was a super nice lady. Um, And so she just kept asking us a bunch of questions. And then at one point, um, she said, "Uh, I'm so sorry uh, for all the questions. I'm not religious. Uh, and I said, don't worry, don't worry, neither am I. Um, and, and it's a really Christian joke because uh, the idea is that Jesus isn't about religion. Um, she didn't laugh. She didn't get it. Um, and, and I said, sorry uh, to her. That was a really Christian joke. Um, and, and now it's, it's just kind of an example and a funny story. But I think that we can kind of live in this way. Where as Christians or as believers, we live in a separate world than the reality around us. And we make this division between the holy and the unholy. And what happens, and and I want us to understand this, in our Christian bubbles, the reason we stay in our Christian bubbles is because it's really safe there. It's really safe. It feels good to talk about Hillsong. And the message and, and speak our language. It's really safe there. You know, I was thinking this last week. There's a lot of people that when COVID is over, like they've been at home for so long. And I thought, man, that's going to be really hard the moment they have to go out for the first time. And I felt great empathy for them because like that's, that's scary. Because like if you've been in your house, in the bubble, it's the safest place in the world. And so to leave it will be a moment that's kind of scary. And I was thinking about those people, but I was also thinking of Christians. Because a lot of times Christians create the same bubble where we never leave our bubble. And the longer that we stay in that bubble, the longer we have that division between my my church stuff and my other stuff, the harder it is to leave. But I began to wonder what it could look like if we could begin to live like Jesus and if we could begin to go to the places that no one is going so we can reach the people that no one is reaching. How do we do that? We break down the barrier between church life and our regular life. I hear too many people, it's like, you know what, I don't want to talk about God. I don't really want to be a Christian at church, I mean at work, because, like, I don't want to offend anyone. I, <laughs> I don't want to push my beliefs on people. You know what's interesting, and I'm not here to tell you to push your beliefs on anyone. I'm actually here to tell you to live like Jesus. But the truth is this, everyone else is not ashamed to tell you or show you what's important to them. Yet as Christians, oftentimes we're ashamed of what is really important to us. And so Jesus here is giving us a picture of what it looks like. It says there were many who followed him. And so I began to wonder, what could our schools look like? I began to wonder, what could our work look like if we could just break the barrier? Listen, what if we could stop saying, you know what, my school is a secular place, my work is a secular place, these dudes don't... What if we could begin to say, guess what, my school, my campus, it's a holy place. Why? Because I'm there. I said, my work is a holy place. Why? Not because of anyone else, but because I'm there. 
where Jesus, because the idea, and I, I got to slow down, I got to slow down, I got to slow down. <laughs> slow down, Pastor. I'm going to get to the end of my message. So if we want to reach the people that no one else is reaching, we have to go to the places that no one else is going. So what if we could stop saying, you know what, I, I'm just, my, my life revolves around trying to get people to church. What if we could actually bring the church to people? How do we do that? You. It's at coffee shops. It's at work. It's when I get my groceries. It's a holy place because I'm there. Second thing I want us to understand, that I'm done talking to Christians. Number two, write this one down. People aren't projects. People aren't projects. I want us to understand something, and this might be hard. Our job as Christians is not to change people. It's to show up. It's to show up. It's to be there. Jesus was there. He was there having dinner, and I'll show you how crazy that is in a second. And so in that, I have a little bit of a, a mission. Um, there, there's a saying that I'm trying to eradicate from, from the lives of Christians, uh, and it's this. Um, you may have heard it before. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Now, I'm sure you guys all know that Bible verse. <laughs> it doesn't exist. But it's something that we love to say. Now, the reason that I kind of want to eradicate it from our vocabulary is because in it, whether we know it or not, the undertones of that are that I need to change you, that I have to change you. But even more than that, the thing that I don't really like, because the truth is this, we are all sinners. I need you to understand that. Go back last week. I talked more on it. But this whole saying and what it does, and I think what Christians often do it classifies and it labels people by their worst characteristic. What if we could label people by their best characteristic? Do you know what their best characteristic is, you and I? It's that we were made in the image of God. What if we could begin to see people not as projects, but as people? Made in the image of God, sons and daughters of the king. Well, Harrison, it's biblical to hate the sin. It's biblical. You know what it talks about when it talks about hating sin? Oftentimes, the Bible is warning about the sin in your own life and in your own heart, the things that you struggle with. Listen, I got way too much things in my life that I want to figure out that God's dealing with that I don't need to worry about other people. I just need to show them Jesus because Jesus is the one who figures it all out. Now, now some of us are like, well, Harrison, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. If I don't tell my coworkers how much of a sinner they are, like, how will they know? Like, how will they stop posting all that stuff? How will they stop going to the club? There's no clubs. It's COVID. How, how, how will they stop doing all the stuff they shouldn't be doing if I don't tell them? You, you know what? And this, is, this might hurt a little bit, but you know one of the reasons why we as Christians feel like we need to call out other people? It's because we don't actually trust God to do the work that only God can do. We don't trust the Holy Spirit to do the work that the Holy Spirit's going to do. The Holy Spirit will convict people. You don't have to. But a lot of times it's easier to say stuff than it is to trust God. Jesus here just shows up. He shows up and he's eating with the people, not projects, with people. Verse 16, it says, when the teachers of the law 
who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, a new group shows up in the story, and that's the Pharisees. Now, what you need to understand about what a Pharisee is, is a Pharisee at this time, these were the religious people. These were the people of God. And what you need to know about them is they did everything in their power to try to appease God. They dressed a certain way. They kept every single holy day. They did everything they could in order to gain the approval of God, be it what they ate, what they drank, how they talked, so on and so forth. These are the holy people. And so we look at this question, and this question can seem kind of judgmental, right? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? But you need to understand something. You see, for the people of God, they had this division between that which was holy and that which was unholy. And their understanding and their picture of God was that God wants nothing to do with that which is unholy. And so challenge their assumption, surrounding himself with the things that are unholy, it has completely challenged their assumption on everything that they knew. Because more than anything, the table, the meal, has great significance. You see, in the first century, to eat, the Bible says they reclined together. More than just a meal, it represented friendship. It represented covenant. And a meal represented acceptance. And so when they're asking Jesus this question, why are you eating with these people? The question they're asking is, why are you accepting the unholy? Look, what's going on? You see, what Jesus is doing here is Jesus is flipping upside down their perception of God in a moment. You see, the idea was that in God's kingdom, people are disqualified. It's only for certain people, only for a select group of people. When Jesus comes down, who is God, it's the opposite. It says he was surrounded by tax collectors and sinners. Here's the implication. All are welcome at the table in God's kingdom. All are welcome at the table in God's kingdom. I need you to understand this, church. There is nothing that you can do to exclude yourself from the grace of God. No matter who you think you are, no matter what you think you've done, you have a seat at the table with Jesus. I don't know what you heard about church. I don't know what you heard about God, but you have a seat. All are welcome at God's table. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus, on hearing this, he said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, you need to understand the Pharisees at this time were the standard of righteousness. These were the good people. These people had all sorts of reasons to put themselves above other people. You see, a lot of times, it's easy to identify ourselves with the sinners in the story. But a lot of times, we're like the Pharisees too. Because we all have things, I said off the top, that we think make us better than other people. That puff us up. Well, I read the Bible. I go to church. 
in this moment, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now you're saying, wait a second, Harrison. I thought that you just said all are welcome at the table. Now, if all are welcome at the table, then why does he say that he hasn't come for the righteous people? Because in a way, that kind of sounds like the Pharisees aren't welcome. That kind of sounds like the religious people aren't welcome. And for some of us, maybe you've been there. Your whole life, you're like, like, Harrison, my whole life, like I've been trying to gain God's approval. I I act a certain way. I don't say certain things. I keep certain days. I just, I do it for God. What do you mean I'm not the righteous? And this exclusive, this is past just even church life. It's like, Harrison, I volunteer downtown. I give. I'm good. I post informative articles on Facebook for people. Like, I do everything I can to be righteous. So the table's not for me? You see, Jesus didn't come to say that either. What Jesus came to do was break the barrier between holy and unholy, between righteous and unrighteous. You see, the reason that Jesus says he has not come for the righteous is not to say there's a certain group of people that he has not come for. The reason he says that is because he wants us to see our own condition and the condition of the hearts of the Pharisees in this story. You see, what you need to understand is that we are all righteous, unrighteous. We're all unrighteous. There's one group. There's not the good people, there's not the saints, there's not the saved, there's one group, it's the unrighteous. And Jesus says to that one group, that's why I've came. Guess what, that's everyone. That's everyone. You want to know what the most dangerous thing is? Because a lot of times Christians think, you know what, what's dangerous is atheism. People that don't believe in God. That's not dangerous. What's dangerous is a society built on works. And a society that says, what I do, what I have is what makes me righteous, what makes me good. But the truth is, if you are good, if you have it all, you don't need Jesus. You don't need a Savior. Because you are your own savior. But there's a problem with that. And if you haven't experienced it, you will experience it. Try and try and try as you might, you will still feel like something is missing. You will still feel like you can't do enough. And a lot of times because of that, we have to trample other people. Because if I can trample them, I can feel better about myself. But what Jesus is coming to do, he's coming to break the barrier and to say there is one category and one category only. It is unrighteous. No one is good enough. The Bible tells us all have fallen short. And that's not meant to condemn us. That's meant to free us. Because that means I need a Savior. And the beauty of this story, the scandal of grace, is that the Savior has saved a seat at his table for you. It's for you. Come on. It's for you. The table is a place for the good enough, the not good enough, and everyone in between to come and experience Jesus. You see, the beauty of Jesus is this. You see, the reason that there was this great divide between the holy and the unholy is that they had this idea that the unholy would make the holy unholy. When Jesus came, Jesus came to flip that idea upside down. Because what he says is when my righteousness comes in the room, when 
my goodness comes in the room, when my holiness comes in the room, it changes everything. And that which was unclean becomes clean. That which was unholy, unworthy becomes holy, worthy, righteous. Listen to this church. You need a doctor today. And I got good news. The doctor's in. And his name is Jesus. And he came here for you today. Let's stand for a moment, church. The same invitation, the same party at Levi's house is available today for anyone that wants to experience Jesus, for anyone that wants a seat at the table. And so I want to make an appeal to anyone that has felt like because of who they are, God would not accept them, God could not accept them. And I want to make an appeal to those people that have been trying so hard by their works, by their own good standing to get into the favor of God. Today, the table is open for us and there's an invitation. And so if we could just bow our heads, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just wanna give us an opportunity to respond. Right now, if you're feeling something in your spirit and maybe it's your heart's racing a little bit faster, maybe you feel a little voice inside your head saying that you're loved, you're accepted. Right now, in this moment, if you wanna accept Jesus, If you want a seat at the table, I want to give you the opportunity to just say yes. I want us to get just to raise our hands. All we're doing is saying yes. If you want to say yes to Jesus, I'm going to count down from three and just show me your hand. Saying yes to the invitation, yes to Jesus. And three, two, one, just show me your hand. Thank you. Thank you. You say yes, Jesus. I want to follow you, Jesus. Come on, right now. For the first time, maybe you've never made this decision. Just show me your hand. You're saying, I want to follow Jesus for the first time. Yes, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for the seat at the table. We love you, God. Jesus, I pray for all of us that have made that decision today that we can walk in your grace, that we can walk in your goodness. I pray the church can leave this place and invade every single place we're going this week, that the holy can touch the unholy. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands for every person that made a decision. Let's go. Hey, thank you so much for listening to that message. We hope that you were encouraged and inspired. Hey, if you want more information, if you've decided to follow Jesus, we encourage you to head over to kingdomchurch.ca right now and connect with us. We can't wait to get to know you. Until next time, take care.